Let me pray again. Father God, as uh, we've just heard sung for us, we know that when you speak, you speak a, a forever word, words of promises made um, so long ago, and yet they echo down uh, to this time, and they will echo through to, to eternity. And so we pray, Father, that we would hear your word aright this day. We pray that through it, you would be leading us home to you. In Jesus' name, amen. There's some of the best-known words from Jesus in the Bible, and whoever you are and whatever this week has been like for you, they are the words that you need to hear today. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Whoever you are, wherever you've been, wherever you think you're going, whatever you have done, they are the words that Jesus speaks to us. Jesus says, come to me, a very simple command, and one with a giant promise, I will give you rest. And it's actually a promise that's sown uh, all the way through the scriptures from the opening pages, uh, the book of Genesis. As you read the book of Genesis and we see God create a garden there for uh, humanity to dwell in, it is for the purpose of enjoying rest with them in the garden. As he finishes the work of his creation, he, he rests from that work so that they can enjoy it together. Uh, humanity in relationship with God and relationship with each other, uh, enjoying his creation with him. Uh, that's rest. And with all that happens in between from those opening pages to the the final pages of the scriptures, uh, we find ourselves back in the same place in the final chapters of Revelation. But it's not a garden anymore, or not just a garden. Now it's, well, like a city. But it's still a place of rest. If you read those wonderful promises in the the closing uh, verses of the Bible, we see again this picture of humanity dwelling with God, face to face with him, free from fear, especially free from the fear as we saw last week in Hebrews, the fear of death coming to snatch it all away. It will never happen again. There will be no more death. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, says Jesus. And here's why I love that promise so much. Uh, It makes life and the ambition that we should have in life actually very, very simple. Uh, Your life's ambition is to make it home to God and that rest with him forever. Uh, A home that's uh, opened up to us, not, not because of who we are, not because of what we have done or what we may do in the future. It's opened up to us because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus. That's what Hebrews is going to show us as we work our way through it. That home is ours because of who he is and what he has done. And your life's ambition, at its simplest, at its heart, whatever whatever you think your life's ambition is, here's what it is as far as God is concerned, to make it home to your Father in heaven. And when it comes to that life ambition, uh, if you've got the passage open there, have a look at Hebrews 4 verse 11. It simply says this, Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. Give everything to this cause, this ambition. Make every effort to enter that rest. Uh, Your goal, my goal, our goal together is not to fall short of that rest along the way. Not not to fall short of home, on the journey home. And the boast that the Christian can claim, again, not because of themselves, but because of the Lord Jesus, is to know with confidence that the one who is calling us home will carry us all the way home, that I am his, you are his, uh, we belong with him in that place. But 
And this is what uh, this passage in Hebrews is driving at. As we travel home, as we head to that rest that he promises us, we have a significant handicap when it comes to our journey. Uh, the handicap, it was repeated again and again in the, in the verses. I wonder if you got a sense as we were reading it. Uh, it was quite a long reading for Tim to read that it sort of cycled round the same point because it didn't want us to miss it. The handicap is this. We have an unbelieving heart. That as we journey home, our hearts grow hard and stubborn and cold to God's word rather than the opposite. And that is because of in our heart is the deceit of sin. Hebrews is written to show us just how serious that problem in our heart really is and, and also to show us that it's not a new problem. It's not a 21st century problem. In, in fact, uh, he cites the example of Israel, God's people Israel, on their journey home, on their journey to the promised land and uh, their promised rest with God. And as they journey home, it took them 40 years, that journey. As they journey home, they're hearing God's voice. He's speaking to them. He's leading them home. And as they're hearing his voice, he is literally showering on them his provisions to, to enable them to get home. And uh, 40 years they've seen God's grace at work in their lives. And yet 40 years as they see his provision, as they hear his voice, if you read their story, it is the story of hard-hearted unbelief on that journey home because of sin's deceit. At the end of the story of that wilderness generation of God's people is given to us here in this passage, chapter 3, verse 11, we have this declared by God, they shall never enter my rest. A whole generation that falls short of home. Our handicap on the road is, is uh, road to rest is hard-heartedness towards God. It's not a new problem. It's not just an old problem. It's a current problem. And Hebrews tells us that this danger definitely remains for us because our hearts are similarly diseased as theirs were. Now, Hebrews 3 verse 12 says this, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that would turn away from the living God so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Do you see the problem? The problem uh, with this disease that we have in our heart is you can't catch it. It's not out there that you can avoid it. It's not like COVID, as dangerous as COVID is, where you can put a mask on and sanitise and contact trace people with it and all of those things to avoid it. You can't because this problem is in you. As Jesus says in, in Matthew 15, he, he says of our hearts, he says of the human heart, out of the heart comes all kinds of evil. It's all in there. Uh, or Jeremiah 17 verse 9, again of the human heart, it says it's deceitful above all things. It's like a, 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 an engine room of lies. <laughs> That's our problem. At the core of who we are is a disease, our own sin, waging war on our heart, deceiving our heart, calling our heart to turn away from God, to trust ourselves and not him. And what I want to do, just for a few minutes together, and you'll see this on the outline, is I want you to consider the different fronts that that war is waged on your heart, the way sin deceives your heart in different ways. If you've got the outline there, have a look at the first of them. Here it is. My sinful heart deceives me about my own sin. It tells me that my sin is not a big deal before a holy God. 
Uh, it's everywhere, so it, it can't be that big a deal. I sin, you sin. We, we pray a prayer of confession. We go through the motions. Of, of course, that's just that's who we are. Sin, sin, my sin helps me get used to sin. It's just normal. I mention my sin no more than I would mention my earlobe or my middle toe. It's just, well, it's just part of me. My sinful heart deceives me into thinking that the fact that I sin is no big deal and that I have that sin under control. My heart downplays just how enslaved I am to it. And think about our slavery to our own sin. You think about, even in the workplace, the lies that we can so easily tell, the little white lies, we call them, that, that help us save face in those environments. Or the pride that can drive our relationships, even with our own families, let alone others. Uh, or the lust that draws us back again and again and again. And if my heart doesn't deceive me about sin itself, it deceives me about the damage it causes. I minimise that. I fail to see the damage that my own sin is doing to, well, me. I fail to see the damage it is doing to those that I'm in relationship with. I, I fail to see the ultimate damage that it is doing to my relationship with God. The great lie my heart tells me is that it is perfectly okay to continue to sin before a holy God who is my judge. You see the deceitfulness of sin in our heart and the danger of it? Uh, here's another deceit. It's really the opposite of that. You can see it on the outline there. My, my sinful heart has, has the capacity to deceive me about God's grace in response to my sin. If my unbelieving heart doesn't uh, diminish the extent of sin in my life, it will do the opposite. It will say it's so big that God cannot forgive it. I'll think that there's no way back from sin. I know Christians like that, and perhaps you're like that. I mean, where do you go? Uh, where do you go and what do you do in, when in your heart of hearts you think that, that what you have done when it comes to your own sin, is, is, it's too big for God's grace and his forgiveness? I mean, you could try all sorts of tactics at that moment. You could try the cover-up tactic. Maybe I can cover over my sin and it won't be noticed, as if you can do that before the living God. And if you don't cover it up, maybe we make up for it. We think our relationship with God is transactional, that maybe at the moment I've got a fairly big debt, but over time I'm going to work that debt off by, by good deeds and eventually it'll be sort of, we'll call it even. If we don't cover up, if we don't make up for or try to make up for it, we end up just running. And I've seen this in uh, the lives of Christians, running from sin, running from mistakes, running from Jesus and from faith in him and from the, the mess that our mistake has made. Well, whatever your tactic is, Hebrews is saying, don't let it be born out of your heart being deceived about sin and about God's grace in response to your sin. Because here's the truth. God's grace is bigger than our deceitful hearts. Grace says there is a way back. There is forgiveness. It is there because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus. That's what Hebrews will show us. Here's another way our hearts get deceived. And this was particularly the case for that wilderness generation. My sinful heart denies that God is good. At least to me. 
Uh, it can happen as it did for the wilderness generation as they look around at the circumstances of their life and what they imagine they should be and, and our hearts grow discontent that if God really was good or good enough, then he would give me what I feel I need. My circumstances can harden my heart such that I will no longer listen to him because of what I'm facing. I will no longer listen when, when the psalmist tells me that God neither slumbers or sleeps in his care for me. I'll keep asking, well, where do I see it? I'll no longer listen when Romans chapter 8 says to me that, you know, in all circumstances, God is working for my good. I'll no longer listen when God's word tells me again and again that this place that we are in right now, this place that we call home, is actually not home. Not the place that God has prepared for us to rest with him in and we should stop expecting it to be. See the deceitfulness in our heart and how it can lead us astray? Now, one more example of that. Uh, my sinful heart can deny that God's ways are good for me. As we hear his will, as we hear his purposes, his commands in the scriptures, my heart's hardened to those commands because the deceitfulness of sin in my heart says... His ways are too restrictive. His ways seem retrograde in, in, in 2021. His word cannot possibly sort of uh, grapple with the complex ethical conundrums that we face. So I just stop listening to him. I don't think he has anything to say on those things. Or his ways seem too risky for me. They're going to ask too much of me when it comes to counting the cost of my life, when it comes to my relationships, my finances, my time, uh, when it comes to who I'm called to love, uh, when it comes to responding to hurt that others uh, per perpetrate on me, he asks too much. Here's the problem with all this deceit that is in our heart. The outcome of it, hardening my heart towards God, is that my heart then denies me the rest that God is promising me. The harder your heart is to God and his word to you, his word of grace, the more restless you will be and how restless our culture is as a result of that. Do you see the extent of the handicap that we have on this journey home to our rest? And, and here's the worst of it. Listen to this from uh, Jeremiah 17:9 again. It says this of our hearts, the human heart is deceitful above all things. And then it says this, and beyond cure. Beyond cure. Uh, there's no vaccine for this one. But here's why I love God and his gospel to us. Uh, listen to this word from 1 John 3 verse 20. He, he tells us this, God is greater than our hearts, as diseased and incurable as they are, he is greater than them. And, and our passage says that uh, God, our, our heart surgeon, actually has a cure it's not in us but he has a cure and he speaks of two things here he'll speak of more as we go through hebrews but two things that he does to deal with our hard hearts they're so simple uh, the first is unexpected i think and the second is neglected by us now here they are and you can see them on the outline here's the first thing he says here's what you need to do you need to fear the unbelief that sin causes in your heart you need to fear it now, that's unexpected that God would call us to be afraid. And here's the second one. You need to encourage one another on the journey home. Now, that is expected, but it's neglected. Let's look at each of those in turn. Firstly, fear the unbelief that sin's deceit causes. Uh, if you've got the Bible open there, have a look at chapter 4, verse 1. 
It basically says, as chapter 4 starts, let us be careful about this. But, but that, that's not a literal translation. The, the literal translation is this, let us be fearful. Let us be fearful of unbelief growing in our heart, of hardness happening in our heart that would cause us to fall short of God's rest. But the fear it's talking about, it's not an irrational fear. Sometimes we can be afraid of things that we shouldn't be afraid of, but, but it's actually saying pay serious attention to the danger around you. Now, that call is unexpected, I think, as I read it this week. Uh, I, I thought, how, how, how unusual for God to call us to, to be afraid. Uh, we live much of our Christian life, I suspect, uh, in a spirit of complacency, and, and, and we're casual about it. We're often sleepy on this journey home. We think, oh, I'll be fine. But here is, uh, you imagine one of those, like, like the motorway up north. You know, on the side of the motorways, they've got those white lines with all the sort of grooves on them or whatever it is. And if you nod off driving and you drift over to the line, it's designed to sort of wake you up at that point. That's what chapter 4, verse 1 is. Wake up. See the danger. But it's not a call to panic, but to alertness. And I reckon there, there is a real sense for us uh, in 2020 and now in 2021 that we've grown uh, much better at a sort of vigilance at dangers that we can't see, haven't we? With, with all that COVID has, has, has brought into our lives, we're, we're far more deliberate and vigilant about those things. We know the deliberate steps we have to take. Well, here God is saying to us this, the great thing you should pay attention to and you should be deliberate about is the fear of following the pattern of Israel. Chapter 4, verse 2, we're told that. Who heard the gospel again and again and again, but never received that word with faith. It, it never, never let that word soak in and receive it with obedience. That, that never happened, even in those 40 years. Hebrews is not advocating a Christian life where we're afraid of everything all the time. In fact, the opposite. Uh, as we go on in Hebrews, we're going to see right near the end in chapter 13 that the Christian life is a fearless life. We saw it last week in chapter 2 where, where we, we, we should no longer be afraid of death because of Jesus. But if you want to live a fearless life, the one thing you should fear is unbelief in God's promises. Many fears paralyze us, but this one will do the opposite. This one should move us and motivate us to, well, in the words of our passage, make every effort. And so with that, we move to the second part of the cure that God offers. The first was unexpected, godly fear. The second is, well, neglected by us. We fail to see the power of it. It is simply this, encouraging one another. Have a look at Hebrews 3, verse 13. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We're to make every effort to battle against hard hearts in ourselves and, and in those around us. And, and do you see the extent of the fight? Uh, chapter 3, verse 13, we are to fight such that none have hard hearts. <laughs> or chapter 4, verse 11, that no one falls short of that rest. Isn't that brilliant? What's an acceptable attrition rate amongst God's people, amongst this church, of falling short of that rest? What, what, what sort of number would we be happy with? Well, here's God's answer, none. God's cure for the deceitfulness of sin is to call us to fight that battle for each other. 
Now, I've got to be honest, this, this talk of uh, battles and valiantly fighting for each other's hearts, it, it does sound a little bit over the top, like some sort of epic battle in a, in a war scene in a movie. And, and uh, reality is my life's not like that. I wish it was. Uh, I, I love those sort of uh, epic war movie scenes. Uh, one of the more recent ones for me is Dunkirk. If you've seen Dunkirk, it's full of moments like that, these little boats rescuing the people. And my favourite scene in the whole movie is right near the end, there's been this plane providing sort of air cover so that the, the boats could uh, get away uh, into safety. But he knows that he's run out of fuel and so he's going to have to land on this French beach and he'll know he'll be captured. But it's this great moment as you see it slowly uh, drifting in uh, to land on the beach. I think Elgar's playing in the background. It's all very stirring. Uh, and I, I remember coming out of that movie thinking, oh, I wish I had scenes like that in my life where I could do daring, valiant things. But reality is life is too busy and too mundane to be a scene from a Christopher Nolan film. Uh, here's the reality of my life, and I don't know, it's probably similar to yours. I sit at a desk and write stuff. I meet with people and drink tea. I sit in meetings, sometimes too long meetings. I stack the dishwasher. I go to Saturday sport with the kids. I mow the lawn. That's about as valiant as, as I get. And, and yet, Hebrews says to me, wake up. You're on the journey home and your heart is fickle and it's prone to lie and it's prone to wander. And those scenes that I've just described, that's where the battle is happening. The battle for your heart and my heart is taking place in the normal mundane scenes of life. It's happening in your workplace. It's happening at the dinner table. It's happening in your thought life. It's in your financial plans, in the way you relate to others, in when you're alone before a computer. These are the places that the battle happens. And God is saying here, spare no effort in those moments because the battle is all around you. Actually, it's inside you and inside those around you as well. And we are to see that no one falls. Now, again, that does sound all over the top like some sort of Hollywood drama, but if you feel that way about it, I suspect it's because you've never been close to a brother or sister who seems to have fallen on that journey home. It's tragic. These are words that are said to us because a whole generation of Israelites died in the desert with hard hearts. These are words that are said because there are far too many casualties in Christian churches. The drift to a hardening of heart, uh, it's, it's not dramatic, it's often slow and it's played out in a myriad of mundane contexts and a myriad of small little decisions along the way. I suspect we might react to, to that reality by, by saying, I hope it's not me, and I'm going to make every effort to make sure it's not me. And if, if that's your reaction, that's a good reaction in part, but Hebrews is pushing you to have another one as well. I hope it's no one around me either. In fact, I'm going to make every effort to ensure that no one around me falls short of that rest. Now, you want to see God's kind provision for protecting your heart on the journey home? Well, look around you. They're all around you. That's how he protects you. The encouragement of one another. You see, reaching God's rest is a community project, not a solo project. We must take deliberate plans 
to gather together for the purpose of encouraging one another to enter God's rest. We need to meet together in a way where we can exhort each other to hold fast to our faith in him on that journey home. And I want to say that in these meetings that God is calling us to, to to encourage one another, they need to be of a size where we can actually know the details of each other's lives and the, the battlefronts that we are each facing. And that, for me, is what's so precious about not just gathering together like this on a Sunday, but when we get together in the small groups that we're a part of. Uh, we've got a number of small groups in our church, and that's great that there's a growing number of small groups meeting each week. But do you see what Hebrews is saying? It's saying that none should be left behind, so we've got a way to go. My goal is that every single one of us is in that sort of Bible relationship where we're encouraging each other in the journey home. So I want to say to you that if you're not in a group, they're not some optional extra if you have time. I know you're busy. This is Survival 101. And how often should we meet? Here's a scary thought. Uh, chapter 3, verse 13 says, daily. I thought weekly small groups were tricky. Now, there's no plans to have weekly, uh, daily small groups, but what we are told in Hebrews is that as the return of Christ gets closer, this journey will get harder, and we should meet more often to encourage each other as that day approaches. Hebrews warns us that there's two habits you can be in as Christians on the journey home. You can be in the habit of meeting with other Christians to encourage each other like this, or you can be in the habit of not meeting. And it's easy to see how those habits form. There's a real danger of losing things by committing to that, losing time or comfort or other opportunities or sleep or whatever it may be, fearing those things more than fearing unbelief in yourself or others. Let us not, as a church, have a sort of an I'm all right, Jack approach. I think I'll be all right without a group like that. Well, I don't think you will be. But even if you are, do you know the brothers and sisters around you will be? Let us make every effort to encourage one another daily because deceit of sin is at work in our hearts daily. Left to ourselves, uh, we can't see our hearts clearly. Here's the problem with me and my heart. I'm my own cheer squad. I'm forever telling myself I'm doing fine. What I need around me is not yes men and yes women who will say that as well, but those who will bring God's word to bear on my heart and expose the sin that's in there. And I can do that for them too. You see, God's ultimate cure for a hard heart is another Christian holding up the mirror of God's word to my heart while I do that to his in God's word, we have an incredibly powerful instrument to encourage each other. Did you hear it at the very end of our passage? Have a look at chapter 4, verse 12. Consider the word we get to speak to each other as we try to be about this encouragement. It's a word that's alive. It's active. It's a word that's so sharp and incisive that it cuts right through all my bluster and all my doubts and my guilt and my sin and my excuses and my fears, it just pushes right through all of that. And when it gets to my heart, do you see what 4.13 says it does? It opens that heart up before God. And he performs open heart surgery that I need because my heart is getting hard. You know, many years, uh, there's been a quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer that's been very precious to me as I think about our life together as a church and our life together in small groups. Listen, listen to what he says. If somebody asks, where is your salvation and your righteousness? He can never point to himself. 
He points to the word of God in Jesus Christ, which assures him of salvation and righteousness. He is as alert as possible to this word because he daily hungers and thirsts for righteousness. He daily desires the redeeming word. But God has put this word into the mouth of men in order that we may communicate it to each other. When one person is struck by the word, he speaks it to others. God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother in the mouth of another. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart can grow weak, but the Christ in the word of his brother's heart grows strong. You see how much we need each other? There are moments where in the ebb and flow of this journey home, we will need that word. And I want to encourage you that you need it daily. We need to bring this word to bear on each other's hearts so that, and we'll finish with this. Have a look at 4.14. I'll sneak into next week's passage. Because here is a word that reminds us that it's all about Jesus Christ. One who knows how weak your heart is. One who has overcome all the temptations your heart succumbs to. The one who is king of your heart and is merciful and gracious and able to help you in your time of need, which is, of course, a daily need. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you know us far better than we know ourselves and you know our hearts are prone to wander and harden and grow stubborn to your word, to second-guess it. Our hearts grow distracted by just the reality of life. Lord, we need that word from a brother or sister spoken into our lives. And so we pray, Father, that on this journey home that we would commit to encouraging one another as long as it is called today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just as we finish, the band are going to lead us in our final song, You Never Change.